You're listening to the How to Talk to Girls podcast with your dating coach, Trip from TripAdvice.com. Do you struggle with getting girls to like you? You'll learn step-by-step how to talk to girls to create deep connections, whether it be for <laughs> one night of wild fun, a one-week fling. Are you currently involved in a sexual relationship? Or for a lifelong partner. Full of long-lasting pleasure. Here's your host, Trip. Hey, welcome to the How to Talk to Girls podcast. This is your host, Trip from TripAdvice.com. And today, we have one of those interview episodes. That's right. And this is far different from any interview I've ever done. And I, I honestly can say, and I, yeah, I know I've said this before, but what can I say? I do really good interviews here. This might, might be one of my favorite interviews I've done in a very long time and unexpectedly because to be honest with you, I didn't really know how this interview was going to go, but I thought it was going to go interesting because it's an interesting person. His name is Dave Pounder and he is a former adult porn star. Yes, he is a guy. So no, this is not your typical uh, porn star that I've interviewed in the past, which is normally women, but this is a guy. And what's really cool about him and really special about this guy is that He's not just some porn star and he's here to share some thoughts of the porn industry with you. No, 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 no. This guy has written a really interesting book called ObsceneThoughts.com and we discuss on today's episode the scientific reasons why women are attracted to men and why they have sex with men. So this guy not only has worked in the porn industry, so he's been around uh, sex and and women constantly, so he kind of has the inside information, but he's been studying all this information and he's got some really cool stuff to share with you. I feel like I'm talking to a scientist here and you'll, you'll know in just a second when you listen to the interview what I'm talking about because he gives all this scientific knowledge on how to attract a woman and what women are looking for. And it's not some mumbo jumbo that's going to go right over your head. He explains it very clearly. So here's my interview with Dave Pounder and I will have him on again because damn, he is interesting to talk to and and he shares his story of how he got into the porn industry and, and how he came to learn all the things that he knows about attracting women. So uh, here's the expert himself Dave Pounder and my interview with him. Check it out. You're going to learn something. And as a quick disclaimer, my apologies. Uh, During the interview, it kind of goes in and out a little bit. It kind of has a bad connection. So I apologize. But don't worry, you're not going to miss anything because we, you know, we circle back and we get to uh, to the missed parts. So just deal with that as it kind of goes through. I'm working out those kinks in the future so that does not happen again. But you're going to hear it a few times. Just get through it and uh, and we'll get through the interview just fine. So thanks for listening and here's Dave Pounder. Hey Dave, how are you man? Doing well, Trip. How are you? I am fantastic. It is exciting to have you on the podcast and, and talk about some really cool perspectives from, you know, really a, a guy who I've never uh, had the chance to interview yet on, on my podcast, on my, um, on my YouTube channel. You know, you're a former male adult film star, and I think that you have a lot of cool things that you could probably share with us, stories, thoughts, perspectives in terms of, you know, what it really means to attract women. So thanks for coming on and, and sharing this with us today. Really, really appreciate it, and so do the listeners. Well, I appreciate you having me on the show. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So you have a book called Obscene Thoughts. That's at ObsceneThoughts.com. 
Com. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about this book that you wrote and how you came to write it? I think that'd be interesting to hear about. Sure. Uh, Obscene Thoughts is a pornographer's perspective on sex, love, and dating. And uh, what it really does is I think it breaks down the uh, what I would call archaic expectations that surround dating. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, if you look historically at social norms, right? Like back in the day, people used to think that the world was flat, right? And scientists came around and started looking at, you know, the uh, the data and, and all of the evidence and the scientific evidence suggested that the world was round. And when people started making these claims, they were ridiculed and persecuted and, you know, they were they were basically shunned for, for making these claims because they were counter to the prevailing so- social norm. And at the times, things were highly religious and, you know, you had these quotes from the Bible, for example, that talk about how Jesus or Moses, you know, took somebody to the top of a mountain so they could see all of the Lord's kingdoms, right? And that would make sense if the world were flat because you could see everything. But if you posit that the earth is round, if you're standing on top of a basketball, it doesn't matter how tall the mountain on top of the basketball is, you're still not going to be able to see the other side. Um, and this could be true of astronomy, of meteorology. People used to think there were rain gods. If they didn't get rain, they didn't dance well enough. And now the science of meteorology simply suggests that if it's a low-pressure system, it's going to rain whether or not you dance. And if it's high-pressure, it's going to be good weather regardless. And I think we, we, I think our dating norms are, are, are really um, set by this sort of moralistic expectation. You know? um, and I think we need to move away from that and look at what the scientific literature shows about what men and women respond to acknowledging that there are differences in men and women and how they how they think about and, and perceive sexuality and then using that data to set realistic expectations um, so that people can have happier relationships so for example you know we know from the scientific literature that men value uh, generally speaking of course youth um, and physical attractiveness um, women comparatively value uh, height personality, confidence, social status, resources, and a willingness to share those resources. So this is this was documented quite clearly in a study out of Montreal by a guy named Gad Saad who took a guy and he put him in a in a uh, a beat up kind of crappy car. Same guy, you know, same you only see his head and his face and they asked women to rate him. You know, they just took random women and they said you know, rate this guy's attractiveness on a scale of 1 to 10. And most of them rated him pretty low. Even though he was a you know marginally attractive guy, he was just an average-looking guy, but like he was in a little crappy car. Then they took the same guy, same exact guy. They put him in a Porsche, <laughs> and they asked women the same question. And the only thing that changed was the car he was in. His physical appearance didn't change whatsoever. And all of a sudden, he was getting scores of eights and nines and tens merely just by changing the car that he was in. That same effect was not shown for women. If you take a woman who guys don't conventionally find attractive from a physiological perspective or like an aesthetic perspective and you take that girl who's unattractive and put her in a, in a Porsche or in a beat-up car, she's still unattractive. Where if you take a beautiful woman and you put her in a Porsche or an unattractive car, she's still attractive. The car had zero influence whatsoever on her perceived level of attractiveness. So the question is, is, is it bad that women value resources? And it isn't. It's, it's evolutionarily beneficial for women to value resources. And it doesn't make it bad that women subconsciously are gold diggers. That is okay. That is part of their DNA in the same way that it doesn't make guys bad that we want to hook up with all their hot friends or 
have sex with a girl right when we meet her. That's not bad. That's just how we're wired. That's our genetics. And the question comes back to, well, why is it that way? A lot of evolutionary psychology really explains sort of the whys and not so much the hows. So, for example, you have to talk about um, ultimate versus proximate explanations for things. So if you and I are walking in the woods and we come across a rattlesnake, we're going to intrinsically jump. Okay. Um, a, a proximate explanation might be uh, we saw the snake, we got fear, our, our blood pressure rose, our heartbeat accelerated. You know, these are sort of proximate um, explanations for seeing for what's happening for seeing the snake. And the ultimate or the evolutionary explanation for, for jumping at the snake is that we come from a long line of ancestors that successfully avoided snakes. And that's why we're here today. Whereas if we didn't have a fear for snakes or if our ancestors didn't have a fear for snakes and didn't jump at the snake or wasn't concerned about the snake, the snake is more likely to have bit that person. That person was less likely to have survived and reproduced, and then their their lineage basically ends. So we come from a long, broken, unbroken line of people who avoided snakes successfully. And this is why even though in modern society it's more dangerous and you should be more afraid of a pool of water or an electrical outlet because more people die from that every year than from a snake bite, we haven't been around long enough in terms of evolutionary history to develop that um, – fear of light sockets or, or swimming pools. And this is true of mating success. So, and you can cut me off at any time because I can go on forever, but the, um, no, what, keep happen- going. This is interesting. Yeah, what happens with the mating success stuff is, you know, the goal, there's a book that I highly recommend by Richard Dawkins called the selfish gene. And it talks about gene level selection. And basically what happens is, is your body's purpose is basically to extend its, uh, genetics into the future okay and men and women have very different strategies that maximize the success in being able to do that so for example if a man like genghis khan who did this went out and conquered and raped and pillaged and had sex with all the women in the world you know this guy even if only a fraction of his babies survive he still has more of his genetic quality in the future than if he picked one girl and had as many kids as he possibly could have with that one girl. He would be limited from – just say from an empirical standpoint, let's say a woman can have you – know, let's say she's fertile at 16. She can have babies up till she's menopausal at just say 45. Let's just say 50 in the 45, looking at 30 years, a kid per year could have at most theoretically 30 kids. But if, if the same guy went out and had sex with a different girl every day and had 365 partners a year theoretically impregnated each one – did this every year for the course of his reproductive life and say so he achieves puberty at say 14 up until his sperm is no longer modal at say 70. This guy could have significantly more children um, than he could in sort of a monogamous pair bonded relationship. And this is why the men who were able to survive as long as they have from an evolutionary perspective did so by having sex with multiple women. Uh, now women conversely, if you're a girl – and you know, you women have a much higher cost of sex than men do. If I meet a girl and I hook up with her in the bushes and I leave, that is the extent of my investment. Whereas if the woman were to get pregnant, now she has a baby that she has to take care of. She doesn't know anything about my genetic quality, my you know, in, willingness to invest parental uh, resources or even just financial resources to ensure the survivability of the kid, including protection from an evolutionary perspective. It's not in her interest to just go out and have indiscriminate sex with a bunch of different men because nobody's going to come forward and claim paternity and nobody's going to know that it's their baby. There's an old saying, you know, uh, what is it, mama's baby, papa's maybe. Like guys never know that their babies are their babies without a DNA test, which is obviously recent in terms of evolutionary history. Uh, a medical advance. So women, it's in their interest to stick around, hold out, 
um, sexual access until they know and until they can assess the mate quality, the genetic fitness, the ability to invest both parental investment as well as resource investment in the child. And this is why women typically want to get to know a guy before they go out on a date with him or they want to get to know him better before they sleep with him. Because for women, making a suboptimal mate choice is a very, very costly thing, where for guys it isn't. And until you realize that difference, you'll never understand the differences in dating. And you know, a lot of girls will say to me, you know, why do guys always send me shirtless bathroom pics? That's like so unappealing. And I say because they would love for you to send them shirtless bathroom pics. And you know, and guys love that. Look at her boobs. Oh wow, she's got a great body. It's very, you know, guys sexualize organs. Women don't. Women don't want to see your penis. I mean they do when they're having sex, but no woman that I know, whether it's through porn or through swinging or through conventional dating, ever says, send me a picture of your cock, ever. Um, now, if And that's coming know, from a guy who's worked in the porn industry. Absolutely. I think that's really funny. Yeah, and but guys would love to see women's boobs, right? Now, what do women want to see? Women want to see your smiling face. Your, your car. And your car, According true. to what you were saying earlier. True. That is true, but it's not so much that she wants to see the car. She's using the car as a proxy for resources because someone who can – it's called costly signaling, meaning if this guy can afford $100,000 on a car, surely he has excess resources that would be – able to be allocated to my child or our child or whatever. So how do you, how do you yep. think a, a guy can kind of hack into that, right? Because we've got a, got a bunch of guys listening right now that's saying, you know, I'm not going to go out and buy a, a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or a Porsche right now because either one, they don't have the money or two, it just, you know, might be sort of superficial to go out and buy a car just to attract a woman. Um, okay. And I'll respond to that. And here, here is the female question posed exactly the same way you asked it right is what do i say to all the fat girls listening to my show that don't have the time to go to the gym don't care to go to the gym and think that body type is superficial you can make that argument fine but don't be upset that you don't have a what i call a high value mate so you can be the girl who's overweight that doesn't want to go to the gym or work on your appearance um and you'll have a boyfriend, but he's not going to be a physician or an attorney or a highly confident tall guy. He's probably going to be a low-status male. Um, and conversely, if you're a guy and you you don't have the time to go out and develop yourself to make more resources or to go out and um, make yourself more appealing to women, then don't expect to be dating the attractive 20-year-old cheerleader. You're probably going to be dating the you know size 12, you know average you know looking girl and. That's the mating market. You know what I mean? I mean? Even if you take it to an auto market, I mean, you know, let's say hypothetically this doesn't exist, but let's say everybody had a biological predisposition to buy a Ferrari. Okay, not just just because people have a disposition to buy the Ferrari doesn't mean everybody can afford a Ferrari. You may want a Ferrari, doesn't mean you can get one. Only certain people can. The people that have, you know, worked hard enough or or whatever puts them in a position um, to be able to do that. And and dating is no different. People just because people have feelings and cars aren't anthropomorphic. Um, we, we place a special sensitivity when it comes to issues regarding the human experience, whether it's dating, whether it's, you know, afterlife experiences, people think they're going to go off to heaven and all this stuff because we don't want people to feel bad. We have feelings and half of these book reviews I read, oh, I felt so good. It made me feel better. You know, my goal isn't about making anybody feel better or worse. I'm not trying to piss people off. I'm not trying to make people happy. All I'm trying to do is communicate why things are the way that they are. And in any other discipline that doesn't involve feelings, whether it's engineering or flight, you know, we don't care about saying, "Listen, this engine doesn't work." You know, this, you know, this is a better engine because of X, Y, and Z. 
you apply that to the human experience and then a guy who doesn't make that much money or a girl who's not that attractive is all of a sudden hurt. My goal isn't to hurt that person. My goal is to say, well, if you fall into that group, what can you do to make it better? So if you're a guy and you live at home with your mother playing video games all day, working at Taco Bell, I mean, listen. Not a, lot of, not a lot of resources <laughs> there. Right. I mean, go to college. Don't, don't bitch and complain or be sad or, or that I'm saying this. Like, go to college. <laughs> you know what I mean? Start a business. You know, stop wasting your time throwing money away on alcohol at the bar or cigarettes and take that money and put it into an education fund or a seed capital fund so you can start a lawn mowing service or something. Women love ambition. And the thing is, is you don't have to have money per se. You have to be on a direction that shows that you are on a path to accumulating resources in the future. So women are perfectly happy dating medical students or law students or people who are ambitious in college, even people who have failing businesses that just started that aren't profitable just yet because they're taking that risk and they are they are putting themselves out there and they have the confidence to try to make something work. And that's much more appealing than a guy who just takes a low status job and just kind of hangs out. You know? Right. That makes sense. So what you're saying is it's not resources does not equal the amount of money in the bank or or maybe the possessions you have, but more about where your future is going, what your goals are, what you plan on doing through your life, and are you creating some sort of life, or are you just kind of um, letting things happen to you? It's almost like, are you at the cause, or are you at the effect? You know what I mean? Correct. So if you're at the cause, then that means that you're, um, you're, you're making things happen. If the effect, you're kind of letting things happen to you. And it works both ways. I mean, if you're this loser guy that sits at home and lives with your mother and you just bought a lottery ticket and you won $30 million, that doesn't make you attractive to women just because now you have a $30, $30 million in your bank account that was sort of unexpected from the lottery because you're still that loser. You know, maybe right, right. It's like they might at first because they don't know you right. yet. And they're like, oh, this guy's really rich. And then they're like, oh, you won the sure. lottery. Okay. And then they find out you know, $30 million doesn't automatically change who you are as a person. So they're going to eventually find out who you are, what you're doing with your life and and even with that, sure, you might you might have some gold diggers around or some very insecure women who will stick around with a very loser guy who has got a lot of money in the bank. But I don't know. You tell me. You think that's probably still more difficult to find a quality woman, right? Yeah, and, and back to the lottery analogy is the guy who's sitting on the couch that's a loser is basically going to go out and spend all his money, and then he's going to end up. You know, the, you see all these stories about people who win the lottery and they're actually worse off as a result because they got in the debt and they bought houses they couldn't right. afford and all this. So, so that they don't have. You know, women women basically want. Personality, confidence, success, social status, resources, and a willingness to share resources, and a lot of those 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 characteristics like personality and social dominance and confidence are are correlated with ambition and success and and those resources things down the road. So you know you could say, well, a guy likes a girl who's pretty and uh, who's in shape, and well, that girl who's pretty in shape is more likely to be somebody who invests in beautification products like makeup and eyeliner and things and more likely to have a gym membership and more likely to be in a running club or because you know these things are correlated with beauty and fitness. Now, sure, there's probably there is I'm sure there are girls out there who don't use any makeup and don't work out at all and have great bodies and look good. But again, when you look at a statistical sample, right? If I take a hundred women at random and I say, okay, these are the attractive women, these are not the attractive women, you're definitely gonna see um, significance in an attribute that has to do with exercising or gym quality or beautification. So in the same way that I can take, you know, you can scientifically state that men are taller than women, scientific fact. 
Uh, I can take 100 women at random, 100 men at random, look at their means, look at their distributions and, and see if – and do a difference in means test and go, OK, yes, men are taller than women. But that doesn't mean that every single man is taller than every single woman. If I'm the basketball coach at Duke, I can say, well, this study's bullshit because all my pl- – everybody that I know is six foot tall and the guys I know aren't. And maybe maybe you know, the basketball coach's uh, wife is a jockey. And so they hang around male jockeys that are short to ride horses, right? So you're talking about like anecdotal evidence. But from a scientific perspective, we know what women respond to. We know what men respond to. And the idea is trying to improve yourself. A lot of guys go to the gym and they work out and they want to get buff and built because they think, well, if I wanted a girl, I would want that perfectly fit girl over the girl who has more money or the girl who has more education or resources or confidence. I want that hot girl. So they think myopically, well, I'm going to do the same thing. And it ends up working not so much to their detriment, but I mean is there's only a certain amount of hours in a day, and you're better off spending less time at the gym and more time at the research lab or you know, building a business or developing social networks to make yourself more successful because that's really what's going to attract women. I mean look at a guy like Biggie Smalls, a guy who's like 5,000 pounds, had all the hot girls in the world because he was confident, had personality, resources, etc. You know, I was talking to this one girl recently. And there's two guys who are interested in her. One of them is like this kind of stocky, overweight, but he's a funny, tall guy. And the other guy's average height, perfectly built body. And, she, and they were both interested. And she went for the average-looking, kind of pudgy guy because he was tall and funny. And you know, you got to get that women don't value the same things that men do. And, and set that as a realistic expectation. And don't don't do things to women that you want them to do to you. I know you want a girl to say, hey. Check out my boobs. She doesn't want you to say, "Hey, check out my penis." <laughs> Trust me, she doesn't want that. Right, and I think I, what I'm gathering here, the bottom line is, you, you said it perfectly in that one sentence. Men and women value different things. Absolutely. At, at the end of the day, maybe there's some crossover, but but you know, at the end of the day, it's it is much different, and there's different types of switches that you have to hit for attraction when you're a guy and if you're a girl. Right, so Correct. it's a lot different. Now, yeah. I'm wondering too. You know, it sounds like obviously you are um, well studied in this area, sure. and uh, you know a lot about it. Where did you learn most of this, and did you learn any of this, or is there anything that you did learn in your time as a male porn star? Was there anything that you picked up there? Um, sure. That you could share with us. And let me just make one prior point too: is on the previous thing about the overlap. Uh, there are overlap attractiveness variables. Uh, for example, one would be like kindness. Both men and women equally report a desire for a kind partner and for what they call an attractive partner. People don't want to date an ugly partner, but men just value – men want a very, very attractive partner. But nobody wants an unattractive partner or somebody who's completely out of shape even though women are more forgiving. Um, in terms of your last question, what happened for me was um, I went to uh, I went to an all-guys Catholic school because my, my – even though we lived in a very nice suburb of Detroit, my mom was always afraid that – if I went to the public schools, I would get into drugs and sex and all this kind of stuff because you know she's watching the, the Detroit news and sees all the stuff that's going on at the quote-unquote public schools. So I didn't really even know girls until I went to college. And uh, when I went to college, I was just like, hey, these girls are cute. Like I totally just want to have sex with them. I was thinking like, – like I mean I wanted a girlfriend, but I wanted to – and I had a girlfriend actually for like six years straight. But I'm just like I want to have sex with other girls, right? And I thought it was just me. I thought it was a Dave thing. And I'm like, all right, well, that's just me. you know. So I should break up with her. So that she can meet a guy who's like her that wants to be monogamous and all this kind of stuff. And when I got into grad school, uh, I ended up breaking up with her. 
um, just so that I can go out and have sex with all these different girls. And I, and I went to grad school all in business and, um, you know, I'd go out with my friends to the bars and, you know, I'd meet girls and hook up with them. And then like, I'm like, all right, cool on to the next. Right. And then, you know, the girl would call me and I could tell that I was like, that she was hurt that I didn't call her back. And I'm like, okay, that's just her. I mean, maybe she was like my ex-girlfriend. And eventually I just started seeing a pattern. I'm like, most of my guy friends were talking about how they want to hook up with girls. I was just more successful in the sense that I was more funny and I was tall and had more of the attributes that women wanted in a general sense. I was more successful in the mating market than many of my friends were. Um, and I noticed that the women were really like my ex-girlfriend. They wanted, they wanted the sex to go somewhere to develop into something more significant. And I just started noticing these gender differences. And then I went to the, to the psychology library at grad school and just started downloading or reading all these books on personality disorders. I'm like, well, maybe I have a personality disorder. Maybe I'm like bipolar or narcissistic or sex addict or something. So I read these books and, uh, I end up going to the psych lab or you know, the, the psychology services at the grad school. And I'm like, all right, uh, I think I'm this, this, and this. They're like, you're not this, this, and this. I'm like, why do you think you're this, this, and this? I'm like, well, I want to have sex with a bunch of girls. I'm not really interested in a relationship. I'm like, I hooked up with this guy's wife. You know what I mean? Like, and he was watching, and I, was, I thought that was kind of cool. She's like, I'm like, this can't be normal. And, and the psychologist is like, it's completely normal. You're young. You have high testosterone. You know, A lot of people aren't aware, don't have the ability to do what you're doing. And I'm like, all right, I got the seal of approval. So I ended up moving to California out of grad school and taking a job at Wachovia Bank as a credit risk analyst. And I'm working there, and then I fall into the uh, swingers world. And uh, I'm like, this is great, right? And then through the swingers world, I meet a guy. Who How did you fall into that? Well, my ex-girlfriend at the time, as a, as a gift, got me a subscription to Hustler Magazine because we used to go to strip clubs together and stuff just for fun. And um, – so she gets me the subscription to Hustler, and there's an article in there about the swingers community. And there was a place – I was living in Irvine at the time, and there was a place in Costa Mesa um, that was a swingers club. I'm like, this can't be real. I'm like, really? Like people go and they all have sex with each other? This sounds great. So at the time, this was kind of like pre-internet. I mean there was internet, but it wasn't like it is today. So you had to go meet with these people because they wanted to make sure you were real, that you weren't like a cop. Not that there was anything illegal about it, but they just wanted to kind of keep it on DL. So I meet with these people. I pay them like 75 bucks or something to be able to go attend this party. And I show up and sure enough, I hear this girl making sex noises and I go around the corner and she's having sex with like 20 guys getting like gangbang. I'm like, this is so cool. Like it was just so neat to me. It was just so novel I like that these places existed. So anyway, so I started going regularly to this place and um, I met this guy, Maurice, who knew a guy named Adam who was a, a production manager for a porn company called Wildlife Video. And Adam or Maurice, I guess Adam had told Maurice, hey, I know you do the swinger thing. If you happen to find any guys that you think would be good or people who would be willing to play a husband in his Screw My Wife series to let him know. So Maurice was like, hey, have you ever thought about you know, making movies? And he got me in touch with Adam. And then I started doing porn. And then all my friends like, you're gross. That's disgusting. I'm like, let me go back to the shrink. So then I go to a – not a university shrink but like a clinical psychologist guy at uh, in Irvine. And I'm like, all right, listen. I got it. I was hooking up with all these girls in college. I was dating this girl for six years, but I, I loved her, but I wanted to have sex with the girls. I got into the swinger world. I'm going like every Friday to this club and banging somebody's wife. And now I'm in porn. I'm like, this can't be normal. And he's like, you're fine. <laughs> I'm like, I am. He's like, he's like, does, do you, cause I was working at, at Wachovia at the time. He's like, have you ever missed any work, you know, to get laid? I'm like, no. He's like, have you ever like not paid a bill or not picked somebody up at the airport? Has it interfered with your life in any way? I'm like, not one bit. Life comes first. I'm just a guy who likes sex. And he's like, then you're fine. I'm like, all right. He's like, save your money. Don't waste your time coming here. And, ever, and since then, I've met so many 
girls who are friends who are like psychologists and psychiatrists and all of them say, dude, you're completely normal. You're just in a position – if more guys were in your position to be able to know how to interact with women, they would be doing what you're doing. And most successful guys are. I mean you look at a guy like Donald Trump, for example, who has plenty of money and is tall and obviously exudes a lot of confidence. This guy is notorious for uh, being a philanderer or for having many sex partners. And you take a guy who's maybe low status, like a security guard who's making $7 an hour, you know, um, make him short and not confident – it's not that he's this nice guy that's just chosen not to have a lot of sex partners. He just doesn't have the opportunity. And it, it brings me back to men are as faithful as their options. And I revise that to say men are as faithful as their attractive options because most men don't want to act with a 300-pound girl or a 75-year-old woman if they were presented with them as options. Um, so it really comes down to that. You know, Men desire uh, sex with strangers. Men desire sexual variety. Women don't. Women don't desire sex for its own sake. There's always something more to it. It's a greater significance of a bigger thing going on. You know, for men, sex is the goal. For women, it is a a component of the circle of the relationship that also goes into the communication and to all these other things. Now, don't get me wrong. There are girls that go out and they have sex with a bunch of guys, and I can assure you that those girls historically were had a previous incidence of rape or sexual abuse or they were continually emotionally abused. This is all documented in the book, by the way. Um, and it's caused them to basically separate the love and emotion that women typically um, um, you know, fuse together when they, are, when they are in relationships. So coming back to your question is I started reading a lot of literature on dating. And I'm like, this is bullshit. This is bullshit. And then I came across this book by a guy named John Townsend, who's an anthropologist at Syracuse University. This is actually going from popular dating books are written by like a guy who just hooked up with a bunch of girls, whatever to like the science and saying, this is what the lab shows. And I'm like, this now is spot on from what I've seen in porn, from what I've seen in swinging, from what I've seen in my historical uh, experiences, dating girls, this is the nail right on that. And uh, so I started reading more about evolutionary psychology, guys like David Buss, guys like, um, you know, David Schmidt, Roy Baumeister, uh, Jeff Miller, all these guys, and, and it all started to make perfect sense, not only from a dating perspective, but also from a friendship perspective, from a kin selection perspective, uh, you know, resource sharing, all these things. I mean, evolutionary psychology, in my view, should be taught even at the high school level so people understand. You know, I, I forget if it, was, if it was Copernicus or Galileo, but the one who, who checked the idea that. Um, the sun ran around the earth and said, no, the earth actually goes around the sun, you know, challenge that social norm that I'm the guy saying, listen, um, I don't think that the dating, the way the dating is structured now is the way to go. We need to have more realistic expectations. We need to stop demonizing sexuality and realizing sexuality is social and not reproductive. If it were reproductive, like religious people would like to have you think People wouldn't be having sex when women are already pregnant. People wouldn't be have there wouldn't be any gay people. People wouldn't be having sex when women are are postmenopausal. I mean, when women are on their periods. I mean, there's plenty of times when sex is engaged in for social reasons with no reproductive output whatsoever or, or chance of reproductive success. Um, and, and humans do so, which is exceedingly rare in among mammals. I mean, most mammals have sex only for reproduction and only during. Uh, when the female is an estrus, but 
humans, dolphins, chimpanzees, and bonobos are, are the exceptions to that, and they're all highly social uh, mammals. What do you think, if you had to recommend, besides your book, of course, um, another book that was the most influential for you in this area of evolutionary psychology? So if one of the guys wanted to pick one of those books up, uh, what would you recommend? Uh, well, I'll give you like five. The first one that I recommend is the one I say, which is uh, what women want, what men want, why the two sexes still see love and commitment so differently. And that's by John Marshall Townsend, who is a anthropologist at Syracuse University in, in New York. Uh, the next one would be a book called The Evolution of Desire. That's written by David Buss, who's a psychologist at the University of Texas at Austin. Um, the third one would be The Evolution of Human Sexuality, which is written by Don Simons, who's now Professor Emeritus at the University of California at Santa Barbara. Um, the fourth would be A Billion Wicked Thoughts uh, by a guy named Augie August, who's a computational neuroscientist, and he analyzed internet behavior. So there's really no – Yeah, I read that one. Say, that was yeah. an interesting one. Yeah, I would say that one. And then I would say Sex at Dawn by Christopher Ryan. Um who is uh, I believe I believe he's an anthropologist, um, but he's just in a private capacity. He's not working um, um, at a university. And then there's an academic paper that was done by David Buss and David Schmidt. Um, that they went, I forget the name of it, but it was it, they went to like 30 different countries and looked for um, commonalities amongst men and women. Because yeah, a lot of these feminists will make arguments against that. You know, oh, it's social constructivism that you know men are this way because they see it on television and women are this way and they're taught to be coy and quiet because it's the society we live in what, when you what, go to, what, what way are you be more specific there what way are you talking about they're saying like a lot of the social constructivists will say that men are taught to sexualize women because you know they grew up in a culture where on media women are in bikinis and beer commercials and they're you know men are are encouraged to have you know to have sex and to get laid and women are taught that it's bad and that they're sluts and all this kind of stuff if they have sex. So, so women are the way they are, not because they don't want to be like guys, but because they can't be like guys. And guys are actually not as masculine and aggressive and interested in sex as we think they are, just that society teaches them to act that way. And this is why you have the society that we live in. But what this study did is it showed that, that not only is our society or the way that men and women view sexuality in the U.S. Um, accurate with more of a biological depiction. It's also proven in other cultures and societies, even in modern-day hunter-gatherer societies that do not have access to media like the uh, Yamamano in Venezuela. And I can never pronounce this, but it's exclamation point K-U-N-G. I guess it's the Kung in Botswana. All of the high-status males in the society had multiple, either multiple wives or multiple uh, access to sexual variety where the lower status males did not. Oftentimes in societies where uh, polygamy was allowed, uh, the lower status males had no wives where the higher status males had extra wives where those wives were free to mate with the lower status males if they chose to but didn't. Um, and even in today's society, I mean, you'll see that most women, I mean most attractive women that I know would rather be the mistress of a high-value mate. They'd rather be the doctor or the lawyer's secretary and having sex with them at lunch than the primary mate of a garbage collector. And it's not, I mean, she'd obviously rather be the primary mate, but what I'm saying is if the lawyer, the doctor loves his wife and is, is, you know, with his wife, she's more likely to still have sex with that guy um, than she is to have sex with the low status male. 
Um, so it's almost if you make a hierarchy, a woman's first choice is a high value mate that's single, but then her second choice is a high value mate who's already taken in just being a secondary partner to him. And then the third choice is usually the low value mate that's single. And, it's, and again, and, and this is all statistical. I mean, you, you can say, oh, my friend Jennifer's beautiful and she's dating you know, a trash collector. Well, that could be, but I'm saying if you take 100 beautiful women at random and you look at the mean salaries of their uh, – and education levels of their husbands or spouses and you take you know, 100 women who are unattractive at a random and you look at the mean salaries and education levels of their spouses, you're going to see a, a – uh, definitely a, a, a an effect of um you know the the man's income and education and a corresponding attractiveness or physical beauty of his wife that's interesting you know what this kind of reminds me of, of something that happened um a week ago with my girlfriend and i want to bring it up to you and i wanted to i want to hear your thoughts on it okay so me and my girlfriend were sitting down and uh we're we're eating some food we're at a restaurant and uh she says to me she looks over behind me she goes wow there's a very good looking couple behind you and of course i turn around i look and the guy was was i could tell he was very attractive and the the girl was just i don't know it wasn't really my type it wasn't it wasn't really for me but it doesn't really matter point is she goes there's a very attractive couple over there and i said all right hypothetically speaking let's pretend right now that this attractive couple comes over to us and says, you know, we would like to basically swing with you, you know, and, and switch partners. I asked her, would you do it? And then I said, you know, assuming I don't care and, and you know, there's no guilt, it's totally fine and I'm allowing you to do it and you're totally free to, to do it, would you do it? And then I asked her the opposite, like, would you be okay with, with me having sex with the girl? And here's how she responded. She basically said, first, um, she doesn't think that she would be able to do it with the guy. She thinks that she'd be able to easily make out with him. But if it was having sex or, you know, oral sex or anything like that, she said that it would be much more difficult for her just because when she's had one night stands in the past, they have never been as good or fulfilling as doing it with someone who she really likes. And so it just, she feels like it wouldn't really be that good and not that worth it. And then of course she says, you know, would you do it? And I was very honest with her. I said, if you were okay with that, then, uh, then yeah, I would actually do that. You know, if that was something that would, would, uh, would, would work between everybody. And I'm like, how would you feel about that? And she's like, I wouldn't feel too strongly about it. She's like, I, I wouldn't really feel comfortable with it. So, how do you just? I mean, what do you think about that? What are your thoughts on that? How does what that fit said, into what, what you, you were said? What you said is exactly what I would expect you to say, exactly to a T. Like, yeah, perfect. it's pretty. It's pretty typical. You know, I, I don't think Absolutely. anyone listening would be and, like, and, "Oh, that sounds thought, weird." Like, yeah, it's yeah, typical. And what I thought was particularly interesting is the fact that you said she wasn't even really your type. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, I, I guess let me right. rephrase. I said. No, no, it's if, good. If she came over and she was. I just oh, said, okay, let's say it, I was attracted to her. No, no, but what I'm saying is you, you probably still would have with that girl because she probably wasn't your type, but she was still marginally attractive. And, and again, the analogy I use is like um, a restaurant, which is your wife is your favorite restaurant. And let's just say hypothetically that's the Cheesecake Factory. And you love the Cheesecake Factory. You invest. She's your franchise. You're there all the time. Even though the Olive Garden is a lower quality of food than the Cheesecake Factory. If you've been eating at the Cheesecake Factory all month, let's go to the Olive Garden. You know what I mean? Like 
it's not like you're eating rotten tomatoes, which would be the diseased or the unattractive or the extremely overweight or the extremely old woman that nobody really wants from a sexual perspective, from a male's point of view. So you could be dating you know, whoever you think the hottest girl in the world is, except for your wife, because obviously she would take offense to that. But let's say you're single and you think the hottest girl ever is Heidi Plum, just to throw somebody out there. You'd be dating Heidi and having sex with them, one of the most beautiful women. And all of a sudden, a girl who's a six on a scale of one to 10 wants to give you a blowjob when you're traveling. Nobody's going to find out about it. Most guys would be willing to take the blowjob. And I'm trying to think of where I was. But the, uh, the point is, is if you go to if you go to pornographyexpert.com, which is my bio page, you can scroll down and you can see all of these different videos, um, you know, or like, like YouTube videos from academics and things that talk about uh, what you describe, like male and female differences and how they approach um, sexuality more more uh, more generally. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. Well, cool. I mean, Dave, this has been a, a really a fantastic interview so far. I feel like we've learned a lot, and it's like it's like I didn't even have a, a, a male former porn star in there. It's like I had a scientist on on the show yeah. today. So I think uh, we got more than we than we bargained for. So this has uh, been very um, not just entertaining, but very informational. And even I learned some stuff. And I love it when I interview. You know anybody, any expert, and and I learn something. That's that's always my my favorite type of interview. So just now that we're wrapping up here, I want to ask, what are your final thoughts on any tips to guys who are trying to attract more girls? You said some other things earlier about who to are um, characteristics of what attracts a woman, but what would you tell guys like as an action step to go out and start doing to be more attractive to girls? Um, one I would say is develop yourself. I mean, increase, you know, go, go to college, get educated, start a business, um, start doing things that are more pro-social. Don't waste your time in a bar, go to like a chamber of commerce meeting or a, um, post your public speaking, anything that will get you better towards, uh, on a better career path, so to speak. Um, even if that's at the expense of maybe spending less time in the gym. Uh, second is just be kind to everybody. You know, when you're out with the girl at the weight, you know, be kind to the waitress. Don't don't demean anybody. Women like, um, you know, kind people, uh, things along those lines. And I always tell guys when they're picking up girls on a cold approach, don't go up to them. Oh, you're so beautiful, baby. Are you single? Stuff like that is extremely unattractive to women because they know that they're being valued by their physical attractiveness as opposed to them as people, which they don't want. You're better off approaching a girl as if you would approach a guy. Whatever you would say to her should be something you would say to a guy, which is, excuse me, uh, is there a Home Depot around here? You could say something like, I just moved here. I don't know where I'm going. And if she's interested and she's single, she might say, oh, yeah, there's one over there. You know, where did you move here from? And you'll see subtly whether or not she's interested. So don't kind of caroon yourself into this position where the girl uh, feels uncomfortable. And then also on an earlier point you made just about the, the, the porn industry, I might as well give you a little caveat there, or not a caveat, but an anecdote, an anecdote is – if I used to hire a girl for a scene, and let's say the girl was an attractive 20-year-old and I was paying her $1,000 for a boy-girl scene, and let's say she was originally scheduled to work on my, like a Baywatch website where the guy was 20 years old, cut, in great shape, very attractive, uh, and that guy called in sick. But I had her approved to work on the grandpa site, the horny, horny dad's banging babysitter site. Okay, So now she's going to work with a 55-year-old guy who's not – She's just marginally attractive. If I say to her, but that site only pays 800, 
she's probably not going to do it. She's going to be like, my rate's a thousand, so I'm not interested. It's it's purely work. Where for men, if I flip it around and I have a girl, a guy, schedule the work with the with the with the granny for the horny grandma's site, and his rate is say four hundred, and all of a sudden the granny calls in, she can't make it, but I have him approved for the Baywatch hot twenty year old girl, but that site only pays fifty dollars. He's still interested. <laughs> There's a qualitative benefit of him just having sex with the more attractive girl that makes him stay and do the scene where the girl leaves because it's not her rate. It's literally a job to the girl to do porn. Where for guys, it's fun and they would do it for free, but they kind of have to be paid. Otherwise, they have to get a real job and then they're not available to do the shoot. So the producers pay them just so they don't have to get real jobs. And I think that speaks a lot about um, – the differences in men and women and how they approve, how they approach sexuality, especially sexuality with strangers. Fantastic. Dave, this was great. If you want more information on Dave and his, his knowledge in terms of, of attraction and, and, and human sexuality, go to obscenethoughts.com. So go ahead, check that out. Learn more about him. Dave, thanks so much for coming on and sharing all this with us. And honestly, this was like I said, very informative and it'd be great to have you on in the future to, uh, to share some more cool stuff with us. How does that sound? Anytime. I appreciate you having me on. Awesome. Thanks. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and write a review. Over 18 and want a question answered on the podcast? Email all your questions to trip at tripadvice.com.